0: Psalm 29, and then I will pray uh, for our brother, Kevin, who is going to be preaching this morning. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are your people. This is your word. Our brother Kevin is your servant. Fill him with your spirit so that your voice thunders in our soul. Open our hearts that your word may be received by faith. May your spirit be our teacher. May all the glory be yours. And now what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.
1: Church, I, I feel like I have double honor this morning to uh, be able to preach the Word of God and uh, to do it on Mother's Day. Uh, if you don't know my mom, she's the one you can't see behind the piano. And um, happy Mother's Day, Mom. There she is. Can you see your hand okay <laughs> And uh, if you know my my mom, you know that uh, she she gets more joy from me doing this than than if I was President of the United States. when I was a kid I um, I didn't have a lot of irrational fears, I at least I don't recall having those. You know, I wasn't afraid of clowns or the boogeyman or things like that. There was one thing though that I was very afraid of and, and it started when I was in first or second grade, the, uh, the school I went to, Homecroft Elementary, I thought it'd be a great idea to highlight uh, severe weather week, uh, severe weather awareness week. Um, and show a, a film back in those days it was a real to real film uh, of tornadoes and the dangers of tornadoes, and you know showing six and seven year old kids you know the, you know, the, the power of a tornado and how it just sucks houses off of the uh, their foundations, probably with people in them and um, and then so they show us all these things, and then they go out of their way to remind us that in Indiana, we are in Tornado Alley, right? So, so at this point, I'm, I'm assuming a tornado comes through here about every week. And I, I, am, I am pretty terrified, they've done their job, I am definitely aware of tornadoes. And I think uh, my teacher saw that I had a little bit of a con- look of concern on my face, and she tries to alleviate my concerns by, uh, by saying, you know what? You don't have to be worried about tornadoes. You you know they're coming from a long way away, uh, so you can get in into shelter. They sound like a freight train. And so if you hear a freight train, then then uh, you know you know that it's time to get into your shelter. Now some of you are laughing, so you probably know why that uh, that information did not encourage me or comfort me at all. You, you got you got the slide here. Um, this is my parents' house. Uh, The, uh, the, the star there, the star there is where I grew up. That was my room with my brother. And that big red line, yes, is the railroad track. And um, every night, in the middle of the night, the freight train cometh. It, it, that's less than 100 feet. It would rattle the windows of our room. And so I slept great for months, obviously. Uh, I eventually figured out when it got to about a half mile away, it would hit an intersection and the, the train whistle would blow. And I, I figured out that uh, I didn't think tornadoes came with train whistles. So once I heard the whistle, when I heard the whistle, I could go back to sleep. But um, I, was, I experienced uh, just a glimpse of the power of nature. And it terrified me. And I thought about that often this week as I was looking at Psalm 29. If, if, you, if you paid attention when Toby read that, it was pointing us to very powerful pictures in nature. Storms, earthquakes, fires, right? Hurricane force winds that strip forests bare and scripture often points us to the wonders and the power of nature as it does here in Psalm 29 and, and dozens of other places in the Old Testament we'll see it I think several times as we go through the Psalms and, and the question I asked this week is why why does the scriptures why why does God himself often point us to the wonders and power of nature in the context of spiritual things and in the context of helping Us understand him better I think sometimes in the Christian mind we we tend to keep the natural world and the spiritual world separate maybe it's just kind of an overreaction to the new age movement of worshiping nature and things like that yet the scriptures bring those together often we will see it today we'll see it in many other places and I think it warrants a bit of introduction as to why why nature Why do the scriptures often point us to this? It serves as the backdrop for Psalm 29. So so let's answer that question, and that'll put us in the right frame of mind as we study Psalm 29 this morning. And so we're actually going to start in Job 38 as a way of introduction. So if you could turn to Job 38. There's too many verses to put on the screen. So page 443 in the Pew Bible in front of you. I'd really love for everybody to have your eyes on this and read this. I think it's just more powerful when we see it as well as hear it. If you know the story of Job, <clears throat> uh, Job lost everything, right? He was a righteous man, and he lost everything. He, lo- he loses his possessions, he loses his family, he loses his health. And through the first part of the book of Job, he kind of hangs in there, right? And he's strong, and he's not going to curse God. And then he, you know, he talks with his wife, he talks with his friends, and he kind of devolves into this kind of attitude of self-pity, where he starts to question God. I mean, Job went through more than we will ever. We give little Job a little bit of grace, right? I mean, I mean, I hit three stoplights in a row on the way to work, and I'm questioning God's justice, right? <laughs> so let's give Job a little grace. But he starts to question God's character and God's justice. God, why? And I always forget that in... Um, In verse chapters 32 to 37, this this mysterious guy, Elihu, shows up and and gives this passionate defense of God. and, And it's great reading. I'd encourage you to do that. But eventually, God himself shows up in Job 38. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for this conversation. Because not only does God Almighty show up, he shows up in a storm. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, in Job 38, verse one, and said, who is this, this, listen, this isn't the Wizard of Oz here. This is God Almighty. Can you imagine what this sounded like? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job, you've you've got it all figured out, obviously why don't you answer a few questions for me why don't you fill me in on a few things here where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements surely you know listen this isn't one of my favorite chapters just because God is sarcastic here (laughs) though I am strangely encouraged by it Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sung? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Look down at verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Job, you made the sun come up this morning, right? That was you. Down to verse 16. Have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Verse 21. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. You're the ancient of days, Job, right? You were around when when things were created. He goes on in the next few verses to talk about light. Where did light come from? That came from you, right, Job? Where does rain come from? You bring the rain, right, Job? And it goes on like this till he gets down to verse 34 which i think is just the perfect segue into psalm 29 that talks about the voice of the lord that is over the waters and the voice of the lord is over the flood he asks job can you lift your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you here we are and he goes on like this through a whole other chapter And he finally ends it in in chapter 40, verse 1, and says, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. I love Job's response at that point. (laughs) A little bit of wisdom from Job. Uh, He says, I said too much. I put my hand over my mouth. Um, I can relate. The, the response here from God to Job is is very fascinating and very instructive for us. Job is questioning God's character, God's justice, and God does not respond with kind of a spiritual resume of how holy and righteous and just He is. God says to Job, "Job, look around at the world. Look around." At my creation, look around at the universe. Do you really think I'm not in control? Do you really think I don't understand what's going on? He's basically telling Job, Job, you trust me with the universe, (laughs) kind of like Habakkuk three or Habakkuk a couple weeks ago, but you can't you don't trust me with your life. Job, I doubt you ran to the window this morning right, with tense anticipation to see if the sun was still there. I, I doubt any of us this morning when we woke up, I doubt, I, how many of you took a deep breath and, and breathed a, a deep sigh of relief that yes, the atmosphere is still breathable, the oxygen and nitrogen content is just about right. When you hit the floor this morning, did you steady yourself? Right, wondering if the earth was still on its axis at the right angle, the gravity was still working. When you walked outside this morning, right, did you breathe a, a huge sigh of relief that the earth hasn't wandered too far from the sun this morning and we're all going to freeze to death? We don't think about any of that stuff, right? No, God's got that. That's, that's, that's the easy stuff. Trusting God with my life is much, much Harder. God says to Job, you trust me with the universe, trust me with your life. The other really instructive thing about God's response in Job 38, he never answers a single complaint that Job has. He just says, trust me. And he does it through these natural pictures of pointing Job to the wonder and power of nature so why nature as we, as we head into Psalm 29 why does God often point us to nature I think there's three things here by way of introduction that really become our outline as we go into Psalm 29 the first thing is that God points us to nature because creation points us right back to God one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 19 right God points us to the heavens because the heavens are declaring the glory of God the sky above proclaims his handiwork creation points us right back to our creator the second reason I think we see here that God points us to nature is that he points us to what we can see because it reminds us that there's so much more we can't see he points us to what we can comprehend to help us understand those things we can't comprehend and finally, he points us to the wonder and power of nature because creation helps us see our own smallness. And Job, that was Job's response. I feel so small. Right? In order to help us see our dependence, right? we see our smallest, we see God's greatness, and we see our dependence. And I, these three things together, I think, point us to the power of God, the presence of God, and the providence of God, and which is our outline this morning for Psalm 29. So I think it sets the table well for us. As we head into Psalm 29, I think this, uh, this comment from a 19th century commentator that I read this week is very useful. It was useful for me. There's kind of a caution as we see these amazing natural pictures. He says this, While it is to the descriptions of all this grandeur and majesty that some would chiefly call our attention, nature is not the main topic of the psalm, by no means, but rather the glory of him whose dominion extendeth over all. In the eye of the psalmist, I love this, all the forces of nature are under one scepter That scepter is wielded by one hand, that hand is guided by one will, and that will is moved by one heart, even that of our redeeming God. Such is the theme before us. Nature is not the end point here. Nature simply points us back to our creator, and we'll keep that in mind as we go through Psalm 29 this morning. So uh, turn back to Psalm 29 if you... uh, haven't already? Just a few pages over. I've titled this The Psalm for the Storm. And uh, the reason I did that, it was kind of influenced by something I read that uh, Charles Spurgeon was talking about these some of these nature psalms, Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 29. He said they're not all the same. Psalm 8, which uh, Toby read to begin the service, you know, that's that speaks of the, the moon and the stars. That, you read that one on a cloudless, starry night with a full moon and just marvel at God's majesty. You know, Psalm 19, where it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. It talks about the sun and the, how it makes its way through the sky. And so read that one on a beautiful, sunny day with a glorious sunset. But Psalm 29 is to be read in the storm. read in the storm or the tempest and he says read that one and be awed by God's power and rest in his sovereignty the main idea for Psalm 29 here and I'm not trying to be clever here with all the Ps but maybe it'll help us remember it observing God's power presence and providence brings praise and peace That is the clear message of God to us in Psalm 29, and so let's jump right in. The first thing we see is God demonstrates his power. And his power here is revealed in a couple different ways. And when I read this psalm the first time, you know, Toby always tells us to ask the Bible questions, right? I had two questions. One, why all the nature pictures? And I think we answered that one. The second question is, why do we see the voice of God here over and over and over and over, seven different times, the voice of the Lord? Why, why not the the arm of the Lord or the hand I mean isn't that a stronger visual the arm of the Lord why the voice of the Lord and so I did a, a study of every time that the voice of the Lord is used from Genesis to Revelation I follow that thread all the way through which is a great study by the way I really encourage you to try that and uh, I learned a couple things Uh, the first is that the voice of the Lord is dominant a dominant theme from beginning to end starting with creation where God speaks the universe into existence the ultimate picture of God's power and then we see his voice show up many other key places right it thunders from Mount Sinai at the giving of the law right it thunders for the Israelites to deliver them from the Philistines when they were taking the promised land right his voice flows through the, the Psalms and the prophets, right, speaking clearly to his people. When we get to the New Testament, the voice of God is personified in Jesus Christ, the Word of God made flesh. The voice of God thunders from heaven when, it, when, it, when he affirms his son at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It does it again at his transfiguration. His voice speaks clearly through the apostles all the way to the end of the Bible when in Revelation the voice of God thunders the final judgments on this earth. It is a thread that dominates the scriptures. And, and the other thing I learned from that is when, when it talks about the voice of the Lord it seems to be reserving that you know, against you know, the arm of the Lord or the hand of the Lord. When it talks about the voice of the Lord it's really highlighting God's Power—it's—it's it's kind of the—the the example, the greatest example of God's power—and—and and I think that's—that was instructive for me. I think it can be instructive for us, because I think sometimes when we think about God's power, you know, we think about how big the universe is and that God commands it all, and so so God is big, and we sing that song in Sunday school, right? My God is so big. strong and so mighty there's nothing my God can yeah that song will be stuck in your head the rest of the day you're welcome my God is so listen that that is not a complete view of God's power in some ways that that can be a kind of a bully view of God that, that God gets his way just because he's bigger than everybody else God is not powerful because God is big God is powerful because he is God. That is inherent to his nature. He is power. So much so that when he speaks, simply the sound of his voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon. If that was written in the the United States, we would say his voice breaks the sequoias of California. He has, he, he, he has so much power that he speaks. You know, he didn't, he didn't take the universe or, you know, he take kind of the loose parts of the universe because he's so big and kind of form them into an earth and do all that. He spoke the universe into existence. The voice of the Lord is God's power at its highest level. Think about it this way imagine you ever heard the story of uh, somebody gets in a, a car accident and um, the car flips over and somebody's trapped inside his, his wife's trapped inside and and somehow you know they lift the car 4,000 pound car off so that the, the wife or the, the child can get out you ever heard of that imagine witnessing that imagine you're driving by you see the accident right and you get out of your car you're coming over to help and you see this guy with his bare hands Lift that 4,000 pound car off of his, through adrenaline or whatever. You see that with your own two eyes. Not on video, it couldn't be manipulated. You see it. What would your reaction to that be? You'd be pretty amazed, right? You would tell that story for the rest of your life. How amazing that thing was. I couldn't believe my eyes. Now imagine that same scenario in in a slightly different ending. Same car, same guy, same wife, trapped. You get out of your car to help and you see this guy standing there and instead of lifting it with his hands, he just stands there and speaks and says, get off. And that car raises and just flips off. Now what would your reaction be to that? The first scenario, right, you're probably walking up to him to pat him on the back and say, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. The second scenario, you're taking a step back the first scenario is you know strength because this guy you know had was had some strength in him adrenaline or whatever the second scenario you know instinctively that is real power that didn't happen because he was big that happens because he has power that's super natural power to move things with your voice as is described here in Psalm 29. This is a picture of the, kind of the personification of God's power. Whenever you see the voice of the Lord in the scriptures, remember that. This is God's power. And it is beyond anything we can comprehend. The second th- way that God's power is revealed is that is gorgeous revealed in nature. That's the examples we're given here. Basically, Psalm 29 is God using his outside voice. I uh, like this, this commentator talks about the, the power that we see in nature. He says, power in nature inspires the common mind with fear. It inspires the scientific mind with curiosity. It inflames the imagination of the poetic mind. But it fills the devout mind with the spirit of worship of our great creator when we see God's power revealed yes we can wonder at it and we can marvel at it but let's not stop there it is intended to point us to the power of our creator and that really takes us to our response I think each one of these kind of elicits a, a natural response what is our response to God's demonstration of his power I think you could say awe is an appropriate response, but in here in Psalm 29 we see the response is praise. Verse one and two, three different times. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And if you don't underst- or aren't familiar with that word, ascribe, really the definition of that word is how it's used in verse two. It means to give someone the glory or the honor that is due them. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due them. That's really the definition of the word. And you, can, you probably suspect that this, this isn't a kind of a solemn, quiet, timid praise. This is, this is just a, a natural, overflowing, unfettered, spontaneous response of praise to the power of God. I remember the first time I saw a a mountain or a mountain range I was in uh, I got to go to Seattle for a national competition that our church association put on and Pastor Lockwood and his wife were out there and they they chaperoned me for the week and one day we went up to Mount Rainier north of Tacoma and I saw I'd never been out of the Midwest and uh, so first time traveling really and uh, so we we happen to be there on a beautiful clear day which almost never happens because it's so big it kind of creates its own weather and and I just stood there right and the first thing I thought was I'm not in Cliffy Falls anymore this <laughs> isn't turkey run uh, and my my response though was it was I was dumbfounded but I just said wow I didn't plan that I didn't script that I didn't I didn't worry about you know who was standing next to me it was just a spontaneous response of Wow and the next thing that came out of my mouth is God is so amazing this is this this mountain which I can't even comprehend is like a speck of dust to him that that's kinda that the idea of ascribing to the Lord the glory that is doing a natural spontaneous response to the goodness and greatness of our God and, and we do that, how do we ascribe to the Lord? Well, of course, this is a psalm, which means a song. This is to be sung, and so the first way we ascribe to the Lord is with our voice in singing. And we are, we are commanded to sing to the Lord as a response right, to who he is. And I, I wonder, and we're a pretty reserved lot here by, by most accounts. I wonder if we've ever truly praise the Lord in this way? I asked myself that question this week. Have I ever really, truly ascribed to the Lord the glory that is due Him when I raise my voice to sing? I remember when we were first married, Polly and I, um, it was, this was, would have been even before this auditorium was expanded. We used to sit um, to, the, to the right or to the left I mean, where we were sitting. And uh, we sat next to a couple, an older couple And uh, right behind us, they were behind us and to our right, and the guy let's just say he couldn't carry a tune with a handle, you know what I mean? And um, and he would sing at the top of his lungs and and to be perfectly candid, for the first couple weeks it it was a bit distracting I mean, of course I was taught to sing by my mom which means I have perfect pitch and um why are you laughing you're, you're insulting my mom on Mother's Day shame but well, we were singing four-part harmony when I was six right so um, picture the sound of music that was my life you know, in our backyard <laughs> instead, of, instead of the Alps it was railroad tracks but it's close right um, but, <laughs> it only took me a couple weeks and I grew to love standing next to this guy and he, he couldn't care less what other people thought, I'm sure to him it was beautiful I'm sure to God it was beautiful I grew to really appreciate and look forward to standing next to this guy I think I was even a little bit envious that he was so free to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due him and I couldn't get out of my own head. We praise the Lord with our voice. Not only with singing, we also praise him in, in other ways, through speaking, right? Is there any greater way, think of what we've been um, emphasizing the last couple of months, taking the gospel to the end of the world and taking the gospel to the end of the street, right? is there any greater way to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due him than proclaiming the gospel? I mean, think, think about that. Let me tell you how great my God is. He, he's perfectly holy, he's righteous, he's just. Which means I'm in trouble because I'm none of those things. And I have no hope because I can never do enough good things to meet his perfect standard but he knew that and not only is he is he holy and righteous and just he is gracious and merciful and loving and he knew I could never get to him so he came to me God in the flesh Jesus Christ he met the perfect standard he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice he took the wrath of God on himself so that I wouldn't have to so that when I turned from my sin, and I turned to my Savior and put my faith and trust in him. Now I am a child of God and will live with him forever and have eternal life. How great is our God. Is there a greater way to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due him than to communicate the gospel to those around us and to contemplate the gospel in our own minds? Our own lives so we ascribe to the Lord with our voice we also ascribe to the Lord with our actions our actions speak as well right Jesus said let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works why glorify your father in heaven the way we speak this week the way we live this week uh, we are either ascribing to the Lord the glory that is due him we are pointing people to our great God or we are right, pointing them away from him. That is our response to the power of God. The second thing we see is that God reveals not only his power but his presence. And he does that again in, in his voice, through his voice, and in through nature. When God is speaking, when, you, when I studied God the the voice of God all the way through the scriptures I didn't find a single instance where God was speaking just to hear his own voice God was speaking to make us aware of his presence God was speaking to communicate to his people God is speaking you know the 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 power of God is kinda the macro view where God is saying not only am I the God of the universe, right? Not only am I out there, I'm also right here. I remember when my boys were little, we had a pretty typical routine, I think, where, you know, early in the evening, you start the bedtime ritual and you put them to bed. Mom celebrates a little bit. And... Um, Nope, none of you had little boys? Mom definitely celebrates a little bit, right? And um, we put them in bed, and and the way that it would work is, you know, they would go to sleep, and then a couple hours later, mom and dad go to sleep, and I would go up and and check on them, right? That that routine. And, uh, you know, I'd stick my head in, make sure they were still asleep, and sometimes when they're little, you just like to hear them breathing, you know what I mean? And... um, and so I would go in, and it was actually a really sweet time for me because I would go in and I would use that time to pray over them and, uh, and also ask forgiveness where I had failed them that day. And I went in one time, and I I won't tell you which one of my sons it was. I'm sure I've embarrassed them enough up here. But um, I went in, and, and my son was really restless, and which was very unlike him. And I could tell he was asleep, but he was having some sort of a bad dream or something. So I got really close to him. I didn't touch him. because was rule number one with little boys, you never, ever wake them up because they may never go back to sleep. Um, so I didn't touch him, but I got really close to him and I just said, it's okay. I'm here. That's all I said. And his face immediately changed and became calm. He took a kind of a deep breath and I didn't hear another peep. And simply the sound of my voice made, made him aware that I was, I was there. And, and, of course, at that point, you know, Dad's the biggest, strongest person in the world, right? And he knew that I was going to be there and protect him. Now, listen, the, the flip side of that is I'm pretty sure in the next 24 hours, he heard my voice again, and it did not bring him comfort. <laughs> because he heard my voice, and he, and he knew he was in trouble, Right? Can you relate to that when you think about the voice of God? When the voice of God speaks through his word, the voice of God speaks through his Holy Spirit, the voice of God speaks through the godly counsel of those around us, he even speaks through creation, and we sense his presence. Sometimes that brings great comfort in knowing that he is with me and he is for me and who can be against me. Other times that brings great conviction and even sorrow. Or fear but when God speaks right, he's he's telling us that not only I am I out there I am here and we see that in his voice we see that in nature as he has revealed himself I like this quote from Spurgeon on God's revealing himself in nature and how he makes us aware of him all God's works praise him but there are some which praise him louder than others There are some of his doings upon which it seems that the name of God is graven in larger letters than others. Such are the lofty mountains, the seas, the thunders, the lightnings. When we look at creation around us, we should see the name of God engraven on those things and be reminded that not only is he out there, but he is here. And that he desires for us to know that and to know him. What is our response uh, to the presence of God? Besides just simply being aware of it, um, one thing I was struck with as I studied the voice of God and these powerful pictures associated with God's voice is that they are often coupled with very smaller, very much smaller pictures. The, the most famous one is uh, in First Kings 19 where Elijah is looking to hear the voice of God and he doesn't understand what's going on and and it says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Kind of like what we were seeing in Psalm 29. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper, that still small voice. See, God has an inside voice too. A voice that we will never here if we are not still before him. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The context of that is is when there's injustice and you don't understand what's going on and it doesn't seem fair. Be still before him. He's still speaking. Psalm 46, fairly famous chapter, begins with these words, therefore we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, and then a few verses later, God says, be still and know that I am God. I love the picture in the New Testament when Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and the storm is raging, right, and they wake him up and they're, they're terrified, and I think he says to the storm, just as much to the disciples, be still, Peace. Be still. Stillness is a very difficult discipline for us to practice in our day and age, right? How many of you had just small talk this morning and somebody asked you how things are going and your answer was busy? In the isn't it easy? In, in some ways, it, it seems sad, right, that, that, that we look at the, the great power of God that's displayed and the presence of God that's displayed and, and that the reality is that through all the busyness of life and through all the circumstances of life, and especially if you're, you're going through a trial or pain or suffering, that stuff speaks so loudly that, that we just aren't even aware of God. Stillness is a very difficult discipline for us in our culture. Let me demonstrate. That was 10 seconds. How many of you, if you were honest, would say that's the only 10 seconds of stillness I've had all week? When's the last time you were still before the Lord? When's the last time you went in, in, in a time of prayer, instead of talking, you listened? God is still speaking. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He's speaking in creation. We need to be still before him uh, to hear his voice. Finally, just a few words on the third thing that we see in this God reminds us of his providence a couple things we see about God's providence Uh, first that, that it is sovereign his providence is sovereign we see that in verse 10 the Lord sits enthroned over the flood the Lord sits enthroned as king forever God is sovereign over it all God commands it all and yes there are you know consequences of sin and consequences of the curse on this earth and yet none of those things are outside of God's sovereign control. He is enthroned over it all. We need to remember that. But not only that, his providence is personal. Again, this isn't just the God out there. This is the God that we read in Psalm 8 that is mindful of me. Just like in Habakkuk 3 last week, you see this kind of progression of, you know, talking about God... In general, which is kind of the impersonal name of of God, but then here, it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of the Lord. That's the personal covenant name of God, the God that keeps his promises. And then in verse 11 talks about he'll give strength to his people. We need to remember that God is sovereign over it all, but he is also the Lord of my life. You see that in the Psalms often, we'll see that. He is my shepherd. Lord, my God. One of the great distinctions of the Christian faith is the personal aspect of our faith. Never forget that. What is our response to God's providence? It's really the result of his providence should be uh, these two things, strength and peace. In verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people, knowing God's Power and sovereignty and control and knowing that we are his should strengthen us. As we see our smallness, we see our weakness, right? we draw strength from the one who has all power. The, the, the one, though, that I think is a bit more surprising is that not only do we have strength, but we have peace. Doesn't that seem strange that this violent psalm of, of these natural wonders that seem like chaos, storms, and fires shaking the wilderness, an earthquake, stripping the forest bare, that it ends with peace. I was reminded this week of a a story I heard about a competition that took place many years ago now. Uh, It was an art competition where they invited a bunch of artists and painters and they they gave them a theme. They said you have to draw a picture or painting um, that represents this theme, and the theme was peace, or peaceful. And predictably, the, you know, I, I haven't seen the pictures, but by the description of them, most of them look something like this. Something very serene and peaceful and... I mean, don't you just want to set up a hammock and take a nap? Looking at that. Very green and lush and peaceful and and... And yet, the the, the artist that won the competition drew something completely different. And I don't have the picture, but I think it's represented pretty well by this picture here. I don't know how well you can see that. See, the storm is raging in this picture. And mama, Mama, it's appropriate for Mother's Day, right? This is, this is kind of what moms do. Mama's protecting the little baby chick there. That baby chick really doesn't look that worried. I'm not sure what a worried bird looks like, but it doesn't, doesn't really look that worried, right? Doesn't that, listen, this is, this is a much closer picture of biblical peace than the previous one. When the Bible describes peace and in the New Testament, it, it describes a peace that passes understanding. That's not the, the previous picture with all the green, everything's great and smooth. Come to Jesus and your life will just be smooth sailing. That, that, when it said there's a peace that passes understanding, that was written to people who were in the midst of persecution. They were in the midst of the storm. That's the peace that passes understanding. When the storm rages and you still trust in your sovereign creator and remember his power and his presence and his providence, that brings peace. Does this look like your life today? Maybe the storm, but do you have peace in the midst of that storm? We'd be remiss if we, missed, if we didn't mention the, uh, the gospel picture here. You see, the voice of the Lord is going to thunder from heaven one last time at the final judgment and God's wrath is gonna be poured out on, on all sin. And when I see this picture, the first thing I thought of was Passover, which is kind of the Old Testament picture of God's deliverance from judgment. And you know the story, right? The, the judgment is coming on Egypt and God's sending his angel to mete out his just judgment. And he says to them, you know, take the, the only way to be spared from this judgment is to take the lamb, and sacrifice at a perfect lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and then go inside the house. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over, right? And, and very interesting there, right? The angel is the one meeting out the judgment of God, but God himself says, I'm going to pass over. And that doesn't mean I'm just going to skip to the next house. The picture is, is this picture, it's, it's used in Isaiah. It talks about Passover is, is this word Pesach, which means, for a mother bird to pass over its young to protect it—that's the picture of Passover. God pa- passing over His people to protect them from His judgment. One day, God's judgment is coming on all of us, and either we will bear that judgment ourselves, or it will be borne by our Savior. No one escapes judgment. Somebody pays the price for that, and it either falls on us or it falls on the one who gave his life as a perfect sacrifice and passed over us to take the judgment of God on our behalf. That's, that's true peace. That's peace with God that then will bring the peace of God. Let me close with this thought. The, um, I did a study, when I was studying the voice of God throughout the Bible, I saw thunder over and over and over again, and thunder with the voice of God showed up a lot, and so I followed thunder all the way to the end of Revelation, and the last use of thunder is not associated with God's voice. You know, you know whose voice it is? <laughs> it's ours. Bring up the, the verse there. Revelation nineteen six Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. <laughs> the last thunder is ours. And I, I thought the best way for us to, to end our time this morning is for us just to sing together and ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due him. And so, so Toby's going to come and lead us in a, a, a song that I hope you all know, but, but, but seems like it was tailor-made for Psalm 29, How Great Thou Art. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then the second verse, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Let's, let's ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due. Him. And here's, here's what I want you to do. Humor me. All right. Hey, I've been here for 50 years. I get one. All right. Humor me here. When I picture the, that, that scene in heaven, I, I, don't pick, I don't think the multitude is like all spread out kind of doing their own thing. You kind of get the, the sense that they're all together, right, shoulder to shoulder. Would, would you, humor me here, would you all gather in... These middle two sections. can we fit all in these middle two second sections as we sing this morning if you're over here you're over here, uh, come to the middle, be shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters let's sing uh, together you don't have to hold hands I don't want you to be distra- distracted by that come come together and let's 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 thunder a little bit as we sing to the Lord I, I don't want anybody standing by themselves I want everybody to be so some some somebody come join. There you go. And I'm just going to sit stand down here and enjoy it.
0: So we'll sing the first two verses and then we'll sing the refrain together, all right? Oh Lord my God,
2: when I in awesome wonder consider all See the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul
0: Thank you that the voice of the Lord has thundered. It is finished. We rest. We rest in the storm, knowing we are at peace with you. May it be so this week for Jesus' sake. Amen.